0: Blog Talk Radio. You're listening to the Business of Craft Beer podcast, recorded live from the University of Vermont's Continuing and Distance Education Department with your host, Greg Dunkley. Whether you're looking to break into the craft beer industry or start your own brewery, this podcast is for you. Each week we will discuss all aspects of the craft beer industry, from sales, operations, marketing, trends, and analysis with industry experts and thought leaders. If you'd like to be part of the show, please call 929-477-1757. And now here's your host, Greg Dunkling. Well, hello, everyone. This is Greg Dunkling. You're listening to the Business of Craft Beer Blog Talk Radio Show. And we're coming to you live from the... Burlington, Vermont, the University of Vermont's campus. Uh, We're really pleased to have Heather Darby, agronomist and soil scientist at UVM Extension and team leader for the Vermont Hops Project with us today. Uh, Welcome, Heather.
1: Hi, how are you?
0: Great, thanks. Well, uh, since our focus in this podcast is on the beer industry, we're obviously interested in ingredients that make up beer. So today our focus will be on hops. Tell us about the Vermont Hop Project. Uh, How did it get started?
1: Yeah, well, the Vermont Hop Project started in 2009, and it really, um, hops actually sort of were introduced to me um, as a student. I was a graduate student out in the Pacific Northwest, um, and so that was where I first actually ever saw hops, and then through some collaborations I built when I was out in the Pacific Northwest, um, some colleagues of mine contacted me and asked me if I would be interested in um, putting out um, a trial of hops here in the East, and I, and I agreed. Um, I was very interested, and I thought it would be um, exciting to try here. And then simultaneously, it actually happened to be a time where hop prices skyrocketed, and availability of hops was um, limited. And so that sort of brought up the question um, uh, on many brewers' minds and also farmers, is this a product that we could grow locally and have a bit more control over? So that's that's really how we got started.
0: Uh, great. Well, tell us a little bit about your background. Uh, as I understand it, you were raised on uh, a dairy farm here in, in Alberg, Vermont.
1: Yeah. My um, my family has been in Alberg um, for many generations, uh, seven generations or so. I'm the se- seventh. My son is actually the eighth. And um, my grandfather was a dairy farmer, and my father was as well. And so I was raised on a small dairy. Up in Alburgh in the Lake Champlain Islands, and then um, in 2003, my husband and I um, purchased a farm from my family, and now um, we also farm in Alburgh. And at the same time in 2003, I also joined um, the University of Vermont Extension as um, as an agronomist and soil specialist for the state of Vermont.
0: Well, great. Um... Uh, I understand uh, that uh, we all who are associated in any way with today's beer industry hear the stories of hop growing in Vermont uh, way back when. Uh, Tell us about the history of hop growing in Vermont, uh, if you would.
1: Yeah, well, you know, I think – I'm not a historian. There are a few in Vermont that have studied hop, hop growth and brewing in Vermont. I don't know if they've been on the show yet, but probably would be an interesting addition. But as um, I understand it, you know, hops have been grown here since people settled, um, settled in America. And, you know, if you want to brew beer, hops were an important part of essentially preserving the beer, really. Um, And, you know, so for hundreds of years, hops were grown um, in in Vermont, and then I think they they peaked in the late 1800s, um, and then at that time, like other places in the East um, and other people on the East, they started to move west. And I believe, from what I was told, there were a couple of brothers from Burlington, Vermont, that actually moved. One of the brothers moved out to California. And let the other brother know how great it was, and um, I think they started one of the first hop farms out out west. And, you know, like a lot of crops that were grown here on the east coast, people found that they were far easier to grow in drier climates. And so a lot of production that used to occur, you know, on the east has moved west, you know, as a result of, of climate and land base and population, really. So yeah, people grew yeah. hops, you know, and, and um, used them locally and, and likely distributed them around uh, around New England until the, you know, late 1800s. Um, and in New York, you know, there was quite sizable hop production there into the, you know, early 1900s until it, it really sort of died back. So it's been a while mm-hmm. for sure.
0: Were were there some uh, issues with, uh, you know, I've heard downy mildew blight uh, causing sort of uh, destruction of crop, uh, the hop uh, crops here in Vermont. Uh, Did that happen at one particular period that sort of sort of escalated that uh, move west?
1: Um, I don't I don't think that there's any evidence that there was one, you know, catastrophic event. Uh huh. Um, At all, but I just think, you know, over time, um, as people became less connected to growing their own crops and more connected to buying crops um, or buying, you know, um, product, um, the demand, you know, and the reason to grow them grew kind of less and less. Yeah. And, you know, you can still find hops growing around Vermont, around the northeast, um, around New England, you know, in the hedgerows, all over the place. And we actually just um, started a project uh, last fall of collecting these sort of wild or Hmm. feral or, you know, historic germplasm, kind of making our way to different places in the northeast um, to take cuttings um, to collect rhizomes and we've been propagating those at the UVM greenhouse and we'll be putting those out in the field um, probably about a month to kind of evaluate what, what was out there.
0: Sure. Um, We, we hear a lot in in the industry, in the beer industry about, you know, alpha and beta acids and, uh, Mm and and what they do to, influence flavor in beer could you give us a a little brief lesson about alpha and beta acids
1: yeah so you know there are really there's two kind of i guess categories of hops and some some hops are really bred to be bittering hops so they are also known as high alpha hops um, and give that bittering taste in in the beer and so those are specific varieties, there's uh, varieties of hops called, like, super alphas, um, you know, so they're very, very high in, in those bittering acids. And then there's also these types of hops called aromatic hops, and those are generally have lower alpha acid levels. They still have alpha acids in them, but they're lower. Um, and those varieties are more known to create, the the different aromas of beers. And that's one of the reasons that we focus on aromatic hops or have been trying to focus on aromatic hops in our research at UVM um, and with growers in the East, because the aromatic hops are very popular with the microbreweries because they create and can create unique flavors um, and flavor profiles in the beer that they're creating. And so there's a little bit more of market potential for those hops um, locally. Mm -hmm. So, you know, as an example, a Cascade or a Centennial um, or Chinook, you know, they have that characteristic kind of IPA uh, Mm -hmm. flavor or that kind of uh, grapefruity, citrusy flavor that people. Uh, people like or seems to be pretty trendy these days so different flavor profiles like that the pine notes and so on and so forth Mm -hmm. um
0: is it is it true that um mosaic and citra hops uh are not grown here for for whatever reason
1: yeah so there's um so with any uh Commercial crop, really, um, and even you know when you're a, a home grower, there are varieties that are what we would call public, publicly available, and then there's
0: mm-hmm.
1: varieties that are kind of private label. Um, yes. Mosaic and Citra are are kind of private label varieties that are owned by um, farm cooperatives, so they weren't bred by a public institution per se and so they're not available to to everyone so that you know in some ways that's really the value of having um public institutions um have you know have breeding programs and for you know taxpayer money to go towards public breeding programs because those varieties are readily available to all of us you know they're not held Mm held by uh, either a corporation or, you know, a private entity. Um, So, yeah, we just, we don't have access. They're private private labels and only, you know, growers that have contracts are able to grow those
0: varieties. Yeah. So if my history is correct, Cascade uh, was developed by Oregon State University's breeding program, uh, whereas Citra... Uh, was developed uh, in a in a combination between a couple of private companies but supported by Sierra Nevada, Deschutes, and Widmer Brothers uh, in terms of financing that. Um, is, is there an opportunity uh, here to develop a Vermont trademark hop uh, perhaps reflecting a, a style of beer that Vermont breweries are best known for?
1: Yeah, well, um, so Vermont doesn't, you know, the University of Vermont doesn't have a, a formal breeding program uh, for any crop in, the, in that's grown here in the state. Um, the closest breeding program at a public institution is, uh, I believe, at Cornell University, and they, they also do not have a hop breeding program. As far as I know, there's actually really only um, – there's only one USDA hop breeder in the country, um, which is, is pretty – is interesting in itself Um, and he's located at Oregon State University with the USDA there and his name is John Henning and so I I believe uh, I'm not sure if Cascade was one of John's releases but I believe Newport was Um, and so you know we're kind of limited in our breeding program which is why you know many of these private companies and farm cooperatives have started their own breeding programs uh-huh. um, because you know you have to have new material coming in and be on the cutting edge and and if you only have one plant breeder in the country really, or you know a few, uh, it's hard to to keep moving things out very quickly. So. Yeah. so is it possible? you know our angle has really been to work with uh, Dr. Henning at Oregon State and take some of his early breeding lines and, and trial them here in Vermont and see if, if there's something that may do better or do very well here that he could release, um, and be special for our, our region.
0: Yeah. Okay. Um, the, the, um, type of hops, uh, as I understand there were a couple of issues, a recent study I I read, um, there were 18 Vermont breweries that were inter- interviewed. The, the this study has not been published yet, but hopefully it will be soon. And of those 18 breweries, um, there, not many of them actually sourced local hops, and they gave a number of different reasons for that, um, one of which was uh, sort of predicting way upstream what was going to be available and the quantity um mm-hmm. and another another issue had, just had to do with the the type of hop that they were seeking that they could not find locally um do you have any, any sense of of what the you know i don't know if you obviously you 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 work with the growers hop growers but um are you in communication with the breweries at all and understand sort of what their uh what what the opportunities and challenges might be to expanding the local production of hops for our our 60 uh, some on breweries
1: Yeah. Yeah, so we you know we are in communication with um many of the brewers and and we connect with the Brewers Association Melissa Corbin who is the new relatively new executive director there. And and actually, you know, even the first um, hop meeting we had in 2009, it was about half brewers and half, you know, potential farmers. So mm-hmm. we've been, you know, certainly following and trying to overcome some of the barriers and challenges on both sides. And I think, you know, really any successful local foods project and um, has to understand, you know, all facets of um, – of producing food and also using it. And, you know, the, the number one roadblock that often stands in the way is a lack of communication between the people that need to grow it and the people that need to use it. Um, and so when we started out, you know, we knew that we had to bring kind of the groups together and and try to overcome the various barriers you know there's a sh- significant barriers on the production side and and um you know barriers on the end use side as well and some of those we can overcome and some of them you know we really can't so mm-hmm. you know we can't um we can't magically access uh private um hop varieties you know so for those brewers that are really interested in some of these, you know, private label varieties, then, Mm -hmm. you know, they're right. They're going to have to get those somewhere else. Like that's, that's, you know, really not likely ever going to happen that we're going to have access to those. Mm -hmm. So, you know, that's not a, really a barrier that we can overcome. Um, You know, volume, that's exactly right. There's, there's not that many hops grown in Vermont or the Northeast in general. So the availability is very limited and tends to be very small scale. Um, People are still trying to scale up um, as they become more comfortable with growing hops. Mm -hmm. So, you know, that's a barrier that can be overcome um, and is, you know, slowly being overcome. But, um, you know, so we're sort of trying to peck things off a little bit at a time, quality, you know, type. Um, the form that they receive the hops in you know has been a a challenge a lot of brewers want pelletized hops um that's yet another process of special equipment you know an art in itself so there's you know it's happening but slowly but I guess your question was, do you know what they need? <laughs> I think. Yeah.
0: No, <laughs> I was going to go there next because I've heard the same uh, regarding the final form pelletized versus uh, cone hops yeah. and, and and packaging and labeling and making sure that the labeling is accurate so that they know exactly because like any recipe, you've got to know what you're putting in your yeah. in your in your final product. Um, uh, another, you know, harvesting equipment, refrigeration, all those things. Uh, and when you're a very small uh hop producer of course you can't you're not likely to be investing in all of this equipment
1: yeah i mean it's a you know i, I feel like we've made such a significant amount of pro, pro, ugh, progress in 6 years but we're still you know in some ways still a very fledgling industry um yeah. you know we have we have We're starting to build an infrastructure, an agricultural infrastructure around hop production. So Mm -hmm. when I started with hops, there were really no kind of local, commercially available, small-scale harvesters, dryers, balers. Now there is, you know, Mm -hmm. and um, there, you know, there was no one pelletizing locally. Now there is um and some of some of them are doing a very very good job so you know but it's taken 6 years to get there sure because it's just you know you can't have an industry if there's no industry to support you know there has to be a a volume of growers to be able to start producing hop harvesters you know yes
0: yes <laughs> so, exactly yeah do, do you see the day when you know a cooperative or a hop exchange of some kind that communicates the mm-hmm. the availability and and type of hop might might be uh a way to solve some of the these problems?
1: yeah I mean there's been um various models um you know one in particular in in the midwest that's been going for for quite some time, um, and and that, you know, their model was um, to basically help growers through technical assistance, um, you know, provide them some startup for their hop yard, and then, you know, be able to take their hops, these farmers' hops, and, and kind of compile them and distribute them, and that worked fairly well uh, for that business in the Midwest and it's still going. Um, and other people have tried to replicate that. Um, but you know, the thing about the Northeast and new England in particular, farmers are fiercely independent, just mm-hmm. like brewers are. Um, and so I find I, it's interesting to me because I find the two, uh, types of businesses to be so similar in their, uh, attitudes and opera- operations. It's it's actually quite uh, comical to me that how how farmers and brewers are very similar. Um,
0: uh-huh. <laughs> and,
1: uh, yeah, it's, they're fiercely independent. And um, so I think, you know, there has been talk about um, cooperatives and, um, you know, this the similar entity trying to come into the Northeast and build a similar model. And it, it just hasn't taken off yet. Um, yeah. So I'm not sure if it'll happen, you know, farmers here, like, you know, they know that value added means keeping as few people out of the mix as possible. Um, and you know, I see, you know, many growers here trying to market and pack their own hops. You know, they're not that interested in, uh, selling them to somebody else to do that.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, the, the um, the state of Washington produces, uh, 25% of the world's hops and Oregon, another 5%. Uh, we, we've for a long time heard about Yakima Valley and, uh, that's, I guess, 75% or so of, uh, hop acreage and about this, about the same percentage of annual, uh, hop, uh, crop. So they, they really kind of own the the market here in the U S um, and, and have an influence uh, globally in terms of hops. What, what's unique about the soil and climate of Yakima Valley from the standpoint of growing hops?
1: Yeah, well, I think it you know, it's, it's really the climate more so than the soil. Um, it's dry. Um, I think that's a primary benefit. It's, you know, essentially a desert. It gets very little rainfall. Um, but it has access to water which is obviously important when you're growing any kind of crop the temperatures yeah. are mild enough you know it's a it's a place where a lot of the uh country's apples are grown as well so it has a, a you know cool enough but yet mild you know sort of mild enough temperatures gets you know relatively hot in the summertime but cools off at night so it's you know it's not humid at all um they don't get much rainfall in the summer so you know, they have different sort of pest issues than us. Um, maybe a little more control over um, quality, um, harvest timing, and things and things like that. So, you know, I, don't, I definitely don't think it's really. Maybe it has to do with the soil, but we have very good soils in Vermont. But what we have is a, you know, a really challenging climate, and um, and 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 a and um, a loss. sort of knowledge base and infrastructure to, to grow this type of crop, you know? So we're, we're starting at ground zero really. Um, And that makes it very difficult to, to launch things like this.
0: I've heard it said that, uh, and this is a reference to Yakima Valley, I think uh, that the hop plant likes to have its feet wet, but head dry. So it gets to (laughs) to the amount of rainfall and it's not, not a lot like here where, their uh their feet might be wet and their head wet also so
1: yeah <laughs> right. cause problems yeah i mean i think some of the challenge here is that we get plenty of moisture generally um but it's not always when the hop plants need it so we still need to irrigate um the hops here so that's a challenge because irrigation is not a traditional practice in vermont really you know um Vegetable farms will irrigate some of their crops, but you know a lot of our agricultural crops are not watered. Um, mm-hmm. And like you said, the you know the the crop itself often is you know whether it's a high humidity or fog or or rain. We have generally have plenty of precipitation.
0: <laughs> right. The, the uh, what, what is the uh, length of time from first planting to when uh, the the hop actually produces for commercial use? How many how many years uh-huh. lead time is needed?
1: Well, so generally in the first year the hops are planted. You know it depends, but generally they're planted at the end of May, early June. Um, And and your goal for the plants in that first year is is really to get them established, uh, build a very robust and healthy crown, um, and then, you know, get them to overwinter and plan for a harvest in year two. The year two harvest generally tends to still be, you know, um, it's not a full harvest. It's not considered maximum production. They the plants themselves really should hit max production by their fourth year, um, but they'll have good yield can have good yields in year three as well. But year two is is a bit lower. Year one there's usually not much of anything to harvest. So, you know you're waiting at least a, a full, um, you know year before you can harvest. Uh-huh.
0: So there's, so, there's yeah. I mean, I mean, I guess a good thing about hops is they grow vertically, so they grow towards the sky. So from yeah. a efficient efficiency of acreage uh, factor, then then that's a positive. But seems like there's still, you know, a whole lot of lead time and investment, uh, hoping that it all works for some some uh, growers who want to invest the the acreage for this purpose.
1: Yeah yeah the infrastructure is a significant investment you know you have poles and wires, and you know it's it's quite um it's quite a infrastructure for the hops and you're looking at you know a ten to twelve thousand dollar investment per acre just for the for that infrastructure and then you know you have to purchase the the plants themselves and that that's quite costly as well um And then an irrigation system needs to be put in. And in that case, you may also need to dig a a well or, you know, some Mm -hmm. other water source. So, yeah, it it begins to add up quickly. Um, You may not need to buy a harvester the first year, but you'll need one the second year. Um, And then, you know, sprayers uh, to, you know, apply crop protectants and um, dryers and (laughs) packaging pieces it it adds up it adds up really quickly especially if you're only thinking about an acre you know
0: yeah sure uh, what about pest management and and what growers need to look out for when growing hops Mm
1: -hmm. yeah well that's um they they seem to be very attractive to lots of different pests um I, i guess you know, from my perspective, the most significant challenge with growing hops is downy mildew. That's, that's been our biggest, uh, our biggest challenge, um, you know, and, and it, you know, one of the challenges with downy mildew is that, um, you know, it can infect the plant systemically, which means once, once you get it, it's always there. Um, there's no way to actually get rid of it unless you take the plant out. So, you know, if you have a three-year-old plant that becomes systemically infected with downy mildew, you know, you have this investment in this plant, you know, for three years. Um, It's like raising an animal, you know, you invest in it and then all of a sudden you realize, oh, it's got this systemic disease that it's never going to get rid of that you can manage for, but it's always there. And that's, you know, the thing with downy mildew, you have to really be, um, on top of your game because it can quickly wipe out your your entire hop yard if you're not um, if you're not prepared if you're not scouting. So you know it's just that to me is is the biggest uh, one of the biggest barriers. And there's others too. <laughs> you know there's there's spider mites and aphids and um, there's a looming fear of powdery mildew, uh, which is the biggest disease issue in the Pacific Northwest. So, you know, it, it definitely has its, um, you know, there's, there's lots of pests that like, um, that like to, you know, feed on the hops. So you yeah, know, it's a, a management intensive crop
0: for sure. Yeah. Well, unfortunately, we're out of time today. Uh, I'd like to really thank Heather Darby from UVM Extension and team leader for the Vermont Hops project. Thanks, Heather, for joining us this afternoon.
1: Yeah, thanks a lot, and hopefully we'll uh, chat again sometime.
0: That's great. Uh, In upcoming Blog Talk radio shows, we'll be examining uh, brand development and how breweries are approaching this today, especially relevant in an increasingly competitive environment. We'll also examine the use of social media in building a brewery's brand with a focus on Untapped, Beer Advocate, and Rate Beer, and other social media outlets. So until next time. Enjoy spring weather, if we ever get it, and with a craft beer at your local brewery. Take care. Bye.